My name is Humble Gray, and I am a Mississippi farmer. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I have a very important announcement. Old Farmer Gray has gone Hollywood. No, no, I don't mean I'm moving out to communist Fornia. No, sir. I mean I've written a screenplay, a script that blows the lid off the deep state left-wing conspiracy against our great president, Mr. Donald J. Trump. And I can guarantee that if any producer out there is brave enough to turn this incendiary truth into a fine motion picture, it will be the financial success of the decade and a cultural touchstone besides. But you, fortunate listener, don't have to wait for it to display at your neighborhood movie palace, for this good farmer is going to read a selection from said photo play in order to whet your appetite for the film that is sure to come. So just imagine for the moment that you're sitting in the cushioned theater seat. As the lights go down, a hush passes over the crowd, and there upon the silver screen appears the title as follows, The Misadventures of Libby Rao. You get that, folks? You get the word play? The title character is surname Rao, given name Libby. Libby Rao. (laughs) And that's just the start of my invention. And so begins the story. Scene one, interior night, the Oval Office of the White House of the United States of America. We see the President of the United States, Mr. Donald J. Trump, sitting at his desk. A fine desk, a serious desk, a desk uncluttered by frivolous gugaws such as plastic bobbleheads of the popular sports figures of today. Mr. Trump is holding forth with his worthy and well-chosen advisors. Mr. Trump, colon, dialogue. He says, Gentlemen, I don't care what the press, print and broadcast, say about me. After all, I'm just a poor country boy who made good in Christian real estate. But these fallacious news items about obstruction and salacious activities and such, well... They're eroding my ability to give succor to the indigent and middle class, and that I cannot tolerate. You can attack me with all the falsehoods you wish to manufacture. I have a thick skin and can well take it. But when you endanger the welfare of ordinary, hard-working Americans, well, sir, you stir my ire and bring my Irish to the fore. The advisors nod in solemn accord. Say, says Mr. Trump's son-in-law, Jared Kushner, what if I were to convert from Judaism to your religion, baptism? Might that appease the press? Well, says Mr. Trump, I don't know if it would assuage our attackers, but it would surely save your soul, so by all means, go ahead. End of scene one. Scene two, interior night, the Lincoln bedroom of the White House of the United States of America we see a woman, Miss Libby Rao. She is about 40 years of age, stocky in build and mannish in her aspect. She wears not the feminine pinafore dress, but blue jeans, work boots, and a t-shirt emblazoned with the letters N-O-W. That's right, folks, N-O-W. 
Libby holds up a white sheet she has stolen from the bed and defaced by cutting two eye holes, defaced as if anyone had a right to vandalize anything in the sacred bedroom of our 16th president. Libby cackles with self-satisfaction and says, colon, dialogue, When I don this sheet, I, Libby Rao, will assume the persona of a ghost. Then, when that awful conservative Donald J. Trump passes by, I'll jump out, yell boo, and scare him so badly, he'll flee the White House never to return. (laughs) Then, without their middle-class, middle-American hero to protect them, We left-wingers will be free to raise taxes on the American people and regulate industry till it goes bust, everyone's unemployed, and the entire nation is on socialist security. Libby throws the sheet over her head and peers out the eye holes. Ooh, says she, getting into the spirit of things. I'm a ghosty. Ooh. But what Libby, in her fervor, fails to see is that behind her, a real ghost materializes. And not just any specter, but the ghost of none other than Mr. Abraham Lincoln himself. Hello, says Mr. Lincoln. Quiet, snaps Libby, too preoccupied with her trickery to acknowledge the old rail splitter's presence. Can't you see that I'm busy? Oh, pardon me, madam, says Lincoln, politely as you please. It's just that I didn't know I was sharing these quarters with another spirit. It does seem to be getting crowded in here. Never mind that, says Libby. I, uh, did you just say another spirit? With that, Libby turns to see the tall, thin figure in a stovepipe hat. Good evening, says the president. And with that, he takes off not just his hat, but his entire head. That's right, his head and tips it at Libby. Abraham Lincoln at your service. Libby stammers and turns as pale as the sheet she's wearing. You're a g-g-g-I, says Mr. Lincoln, speaking through his decapitated head. Am a ghost. And just who might you be? Eek, cries Libby, who, being a liberal coward, flees the Lincoln bedroom without even opening the door, leaving a Libby-shaped hole in the wall. End of scene two. Scene three. Exterior night. The verdant lawn of the White House of the United States of America. Libby runs screaming toward the front gate, but a Secret Service agent, whose solemn duty is to safeguard these hallowed grounds, espies the fleeing figure in the sheet. He speaks to his superior through a walkie-talkie. Looks like a ghost attack, says he. Over. I see, comes his superior's voice over the radio. Then protect America's house by any means necessary. Over. Yes, sir, says the agent. Over. And with that, he releases the White House guard dogs who chase Libby Rao all the way down Pennsylvania Avenue and off into the night. End of scene three. Scene four, interior night. The Oval Office of the White House of the United States of America. President Donald J. Trump sits at his desk, signing important papers, intending with each scratch of his mighty pen to make America a better place for its citizens. Suddenly, Abraham Lincoln materializes before his desk. Mr. Trump looks up. Oh, hello, says he. 
Hello to you, says Mr. Lincoln. Why, goodness, says Mr. Trump. I thought I was the only one who kept such late hours in the West Wing. I'd no idea I had company. You do indeed, says Mr. Lincoln. I've watched you for a long time, Mr. Trump, and I must say you quite remind me of myself when I sat at this desk. Let me introduce myself. My name is O, says Mr. Trump. No need for introductions. I'd know you anywhere, Mr. Lincoln. Note to the audience. Please observe that while Libby Rao, left-wing socialist and deep state tool, displayed craven fear in the presence of the ghostly Abraham Lincoln, Donald J. Trump, a heroic conservative, betrays no such alarm in the presence of this presidential apparition. The lesson? You decide. Now back to the script. I'd know you anywhere, Mr. Lincoln, says President Trump. It's good to be remembered, says the Phantom, for Lincoln is a humble soul. But if I may say, Donald, if I may call you Donald, of course, says Mr. Trump, it would be an honor to have you do so. If I may say, Donald, says the 16th president, you look worried, positively careworn, in fact. Oh, says Mr. Trump, I'm just concerned for the American people. Am I doing a good enough job for them? Am I worthy of the trust they've placed in me? And will my ambitious conservative agenda come to fruition in the face of such dogged resistance by the Democratic Party? So yes, Mr. Lincoln, I am careworn, but all in a good cause, I think. Part and parcel of the job, says the ghost, but I wouldn't worry too much. As I said, I have observed you for a long time, Donald, and I think you're doing a fine job. You mean it, asks Mr. Trump, no slouch in the humility department himself. Well, Donald, says Mr. Lincoln, they don't call me Honest Abe for nothing. Mr. Trump smiles, tired but grateful. Thank you, Mr. President, he says, to which Abraham Lincoln replies, no, thank you, Mr. President. And with that, good old Lincoln fades away, and Donald J. Trump, 45th President of the United States, returns to work. End of scene four. And there, dear friends, it's just a sample of the laughter and pathos in store when the adventures of when the misadventures of Libby Rao is projected in a theater near you. Now, if you'll excuse me, I have to clear a spot on the mantle for that Academy Award, which will most assuredly occupy pride of place in my home. Pride of place. Yes, sir. I would like today's broadcast to serve as an alert. An alert. For it has recently come to old Farmer Gray's attention that there is a certain enterprise in our union, one whose tentacles reach even into the Mid-South, that is actively trying to turn us into a nation of fancy pants. And that company is... Are you ready? That business concern is McDonald's. McDonald's. That's right. A chain that would seem as American as a Trump-branded building is actually trying to shake the manly foundations that undergird the United States and all of its institutions. Impossible, you say? Not in its playbook, you protest? Well, friends... Let me tell you about a recent excursion I made to Zare County, a mere 20 minutes from downtown Trouveau, as the pickup drives. 
wasn't on any joyride now. I was there to look at a used tractor engine, as advertised on the bulletin board outside Truveau's volunteer fire department. Well, the trip turned out to be a bust, for the motor was in no better shape than the one I've been limping along with all season. That pained me some, for every good farmer knows to keep his equipment in repair, lest he lose the respect of his neighbors, and they refer to his guardianship of the land as well as half-somethinged rather than whole. And this was weighing heavily upon me when I realized suddenly that I was powerfully hungry, having had no midday repast, as is my custom after a long morning at the plow. And I was, at that very moment, passing a, what? You guessed it, a McDonald's. Now, I don't make a practice of dining at that establishment, there is no McDonald's franchise in Truveau, and I feel no need to go far afield for those things that are not supplied by my beloved hometown. But I was, as I said, quite famished, and it was, as I stated, right there. So, as need was matched by opportunity, I swung my pickup into the parking lot and entered the glass and brick eatery with hamburgers on my mind. Well, sir... It had been, I'd say, two years since I'd last come through the doors of the Zare County McDonald's, and let me tell you, I was not prepared for what I encountered. For greeting me first thing was a vertically rectangular screen, like one of those flat televisions turned on its side. Of course, I sidestepped it and walked straight to the counter, expecting to place my order with a flesh-and-blood human being. But the first thing the young man asked was, Would you all prefer to order at the touch screen? At the what, says I? At the touch screen, replies he, the one over yonder. And he points to the sideways television I avoided on my way in. No, I said, I would not prefer to avail myself of that technological monstrosity. But the lad insisted that if I would only just try it, I would find it to be far more expedient than were I to involve him, a living creature, in this exercise. Well, Farmer Gray is nothing if not up to a challenge, so I did belly up to this so-called touchscreen, and touch it I did, and touched it, and touched it. For about twenty minutes did I touch that screen, shifting through images of comestibles and various instructions that frankly left me flummoxed as an impatient line of customers formed behind me. "'Do you need help, sir?' asked the lad from behind the counter. "'Yes,' said one wag from the line. "'No,' says I, "'for I was determined to breach this digital divide solo, or not at all.' Well, I'm here to tell you that your old friend achieved his offices, winning free of the screen and not a moment too soon, for the rumblings behind me had turned ugly, and I feared that violence would attend my efforts to obtain my prize, consisting of a grilled chicken sandwich, medium soft drink, large fries, and an apple pie. True, I had wanted only two hamburgers and a small coffee, but I nonetheless considered myself wholly victorious. Now the next step, the next step in my adventure was to pick up this plastic goo-gaw sitting beside the sideways television and carry it to the table of my choosing, 
and I did so, to the applause of my fellow diners as I drank in a hard-won ovation that I felt was surely sincerely proffered. Now then, why the goo-gaw, you may ask? Well, sir, it bore a number, and that number clued the McDonald's establishment into my location, so that instead of picking up my grilled chicken from the counter like a humble Christian, I could sit like a Persian king and have my order brought to me city-style. Now, friends, that may sound just hunky-dory to you, but this new situation is not to your correspondent's liking. For one, it is unmanly to order through a machine and violates the right of every good American to approach the counter, look the fellow next to the cash register directly in the eye, and in a firm, clear voice forged in a free society, inform him that you desire... No, that you demand two cheeseburgers and a small coffee, and it is the consuetude of the working man to convey his own meal to his own table with his own two hands, just as a fellow sows his own field rather than expecting his neighbor to do so. Anything else smacks of decadence and sloth, the twin engines of national decay. My warning is clear. Beware touchscreens and table service so that you may preserve a godly and self-sufficient United States. Yes, sir. Play me out, Zeke. (laughs) 